if you guys want to take them back there, you're welcome to do just that. You know, we are wrapping up today a series that we began uh, three weeks ago. We just began a really short series called Rest. And the reason I, I kind of, I, I was really framed around thinking that, and I kind of laid this framework each week, but I was sitting there one night with my wife. We had just finished running from activity to activity to activity. It was like our third thing that night, and we were worn out, and it seemed like that was like the never-ending kind of ongoing struggle that we were living in. We were worn out and tired, but not just tired in that sort of we're tired, life's been, or uh, day's been busy, but in really that sort of emotional baggage driven, man, I am just worn out, kind of tired. And we were just exhausted. And I looked at her and I started thinking to myself, I was like, is this really kind of really what we were uh, created for? I mean, really, in my own relationship with Christ, are we created for this kind of, of just this nature in me that just says, God, I am so so tired. So I started thinking about my relationship with Christ, and I started thinking about the word rest, and I realized that, that most of us lived here. We don't really know what to do with the word rest, much less how to have lives that live in it. And when we think about rest, we think about it in terms of the physical. We think that if I can just get from here to there, then I'll have rest. If I can just make it through the week or through this one business deal or through our one family hurdle, and then I'll be able to take a, take a break and draw a breath or sit by the pool or read a book, and then I will be able to be rest if I can just get through this, this milestone or this marker or this whatever. But the reality is, is that that's not true rest. I mean, life has a way of just sort of coming upon us. And if once we get to that one hurdle, another five come. Or just when we feel like we're coming up for one breath, it seems as though we get hit by another wave. And life just gets thrown upon us quickly. And life is hard. It's a challenge. It's difficult. And, and so I started thinking about, is really the answer to my problem having another night that just doesn't have an activity? Or, Trev, is there something deeper at play that I have to deal with? And so I started thinking about that word rest and really thinking it from a biblical perspective. And what I realized was is that rest is actually spiritual. It has nothing to do with the physical. But true biblical spiritual rest and peace is, comes from something that's much deeper um, and much more important. And so we've, we've kind of taken the last three weeks and we've really explored those things. We explore this idea that, that rest is really spiritual and that it's Jesus who invites us into rest. It's Jesus who gives us rest. And we talked about taking his yoke upon us and, and submitting to him and how we find rest when we submit to God. And we, we really explored all that. And then I told you that there are three things that we have to deal with in order to really find true spiritual rest. And we've been dealing with these the past two weeks, and we're going to deal with the third one today. But the first one was trust. If we were going to find true spiritual rest, we had to deal with trust. And the question was this, do you really trust the God that you say you believe in? We talked about the disciples and the boat and the storm and all those things, and, and the question really was, do you trust the God you say you believe in? Last week, the second thing we had to deal with was worry, overcoming a worrying mind, that mental battle. And I'm going to recap a little bit of that because I think it's really important that we hear it in just a moment. But we dealt with the idea of worry. And today, the third thing that I think we really have to deal with that we're going to talk about today that I think we have to really unpack and wrestle with if we're going to find true spiritual rest is this idea of priorities. How to reset your life on what really matters. And we're going to take a little bit different look at it today. Because priorities is a... Well, it's a really interesting concept, and I'm going to jump into it. But before we do that, let me give you, kind of catch you up to speed with where we are. Because I think last week's kind of a conversation that we had about worry is really important. 
Because a lot of us, and a lot of you have come up to me and said, man, Trip, this is the one thing I deal with the most. I really struggle with worry. I really struggle with the fears of the unknown. I really struggle with how I'm going to be actually be able to do all these things in my life and make ends meet and the bills that got to get paid and my kid that's going off to college, all these things. I, I allow those things to weigh on my heart. So last week we really dealt with this idea of worry. And I told you that the greatest obstacle to finding spiritual rest, I think, is the mental battle of worry. The greatest obstacle that you and I will have when it comes to finding true rest, that peace in us that just says, God, I'm at peace in my soul, is the mental battle that is worry. And we really broke it down and explained why by looking at just what Jesus taught on the subject out of the Sermon on the Mount. But we explored the idea that we have to recognize the problem. And we talked about the fact that, that it is a spiritual problem. That worry is actually comes from the Greek word merimneo, which is two words, which means divided mind. And it carries with it a spiritual connotation of brokenness. Then when it's used in the New Testament, it's not just about worrying over something. There's a spiritual component. And so it's really about being spiritually broken. And so when we live in worry and fear and anxiety, we are living in spiritual brokenness. And we talked about it in terms of it's disobedient and, it result, and it's a result of unbelief. We really explored what those look like. But we had to name the problem. And the problem is that when we live in worry and anxiety, we're living in disobedience and unbelief. We also talked about the fact that, that worry was really about fear. At the end of the day, worry was not about this thing, but it was about fear. And for me personally, all of my worries are really rooted in fear. My failures of, of failing as a man, as a husband, my, failures of, my fears of not being able to make this end meet that end, or, or whatever they are, they're always rooted in fear. We talked about the fact that in Scripture we see people naming those fears and saying things like, God, I am petrified of this happening. And allowing ourselves to be honest before God and naming those fears and then helping, asking God to really cleanse our heart of that. We talked about we ought to be moving. We got to quit sitting still and start moving towards action. We'll never think our way out of worrying. We'll never think our way out of our fears. At some point in time, as Matthew 6.33 says, we've got to seek first Jesus. It boils down to the fact that it's an action. We can't just sit there and try and talk ourselves out of worrying. At some point in time, we have to trust the God that we say we believe in. And we said, we really came up with two questions. Do you believe God really knows and do you believe God really cares? I mean, do you believe God knows what you need and do you believe he really cares about the struggle and place that you're in? We're going to look at that question. Battery's gone, so we'll see what happens. It's going to be on my end, I think, man. If it goes out, I'll just get real loud. Um, but we talked about it in terms of, of action. Hot, hot, perfect. See, the problem is we record all this stuff, and so if you don't talk into a microphone, then the poor people that get the podcast will just got that little, that little, that little, little sliver there. So anyway, the, the point being is that when we get to the end of this idea of, of worry, we figured out that we have to live today. So not only do we have to name our fears, but we've got to actually live today. And Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow is enough trouble of its own. You know, each day has enough worry. So basically, we have to decide that we live today. And what I mentioned, and what Meredith and I even talked about last night, is that worry, 
robs the joy of living today. Worry will ruin your marriage. It will ruin your, um, your relationships. It will ruin your life because it steals your joy. A worrying mind robs your joy and will steal your ability to live today. We were talking about that last night even as we were thinking about things in our own life. And, and as I've been exploring this series, what I've realized is that even as I talk about these things, I'm overwhelmingly surprised at how quickly I still get wrapped up in life. So even as I'm sitting here each week talking about trusting Jesus and, and resetting things like our priorities and not worrying, I'm finding myself unintentionally getting wrapped up in life because life happens. It just does. I mean, just when you think you've got a hold of life, something else seems to unfold in front of you. Another hurdle, the, the, the power bill comes at 150 more than you thought it was. The tire on your car goes flat or it breaks down or you find yourself struggling with that decision at work or he calls after five years or your son walks out or your wife says she, she can't do this anymore. Something in life unfolds and, and it was unanticipated and unplanned and here you are. And life just sort of does that. And even as we talk about it, life unfolds in those categories so quickly. And I find myself thinking, just when I'm on the edge of being able to finally breathe Jesus, something else just sort of sweeps in. And so even in the middle of talking about it doesn't mean we're exempt from it. And so I don't know what you've got going on in your life today. I don't know if what your struggle really is is trust or if it's worry or whatever. But there is probably something in your life that is causing you to not be able to find true peace in your soul. True rest. I mean, that rest that just says, God, I am okay. I have found rest in you. You know, we've talked about those other things. And I think to wrap all our series up today, we really have to deal with the idea of priorities. You know, most of us think of our lives in terms of, of, terms of balance, not in terms of priorities. We think about it in the, through the lens of balance. Like, I've got to balance work and I've got to balance family. I have to balance bills and I have to balance vacation. But really, there's no such, there's really no such picture that works. Balance is a fallacy. We have to look at our lives through the lens of priorities. Because you can never balance work with your children. They don't come out even. They don't come out equal. At some point in time, you've got to work to provide for the family. You can't just not show up. But at some point in time, your kids and your family need all of your attention. How do you balance those things out, really? You've got to look at life through the lens of priorities. Because balance is just what you think it is. It's an act. It's a balancing act. It's like juggling. you got everything going. I mean, it's great. And then somebody just tosses another ball, and then everything comes crashing down. And that's the problem with balance is just when we think we've got everything laid out, that one little thing falls on the scale and the whole system falls to pieces. See, priorities are how we begin to shift our life. It's how we change how we think and see the world. And I think that what most of us need to do is reset our priorities and what really matters. I know you're sitting here thinking, are you going to tell me what's really important? Spend time with your family and loved ones and all those things. Well, you know that. I don't need to tell you those things. I want to take a different picture to look at priorities and tell you the, what I think really matters. We're going to be in the book of Luke chapter 10 this morning. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to go ahead and get there. We're going to take a, an interesting look at, at a story that we've talked about in here before. Actually, we talked about church in the park a couple of years or a couple of months ago. As we look at a really familiar story of Mary and Martha. And we're going to take a little bit different picture of it um, than what you might normally see. But let's turn to Luke chapter 10 if you've got your Bible. 
And uh, we will start off in uh, verse 38 through 41. But before we do that, let's, uh, let's pray. God, we thank you that your word is living and active, that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we thank you that you love us and desire a relationship with us, God, and that you care for us. God, we thank you that we have an encounter with your word this morning. We're having an encounter with you. Lord, we ask that you would do something remarkable in our hearts this morning. Just take a second right where you sit. Just ask God to move in you. Just whisper that with all the things going on in your life today and all the stuff that's unfolding. Just just simply ask God to move in you. Take just a second and pray for someone beside you. Just be in the habit of praying for somebody else. Just pray. Just Even if that seems kind of weird to you, just pray in your heart for them. Just say, God, I want you to, to move in this person's life. Even if you don't know their name, just pray for them. God, we ask that you would activate your spirit in our lives today, teaching us and equipping us to live as followers of you, showing us what true rest looks like. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, very familiar story, the account of Mary and Martha, which we've all heard, I mean, most likely more than once. We've, we're very familiar with the story. But to me, it's, it's, it really shapes and kind of frames all that we've been talking about for the past few weeks. So Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about so many things, but only one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, we're really familiar with this story, because like, if you're anything like me, you've probably heard a dozen sermons preached on it. I mean, really preached from the framework of, of looking at Martha and explaining her life as the what not to do. And I've heard many pastor blast Martha for, for the fact that here's Jesus. I mean, Jesus, he is a dinner guest in her home, and she cannot even see that. She can't even figure that out. She's so busy, and we hear sermons preached on don't be a Martha. I mean, less than two years ago, I, I heard a sermon preached on that exact same title. That was the title, Don't Be a Martha. Because Martha had Jesus in her home and she missed the whole picture and and Mary chose what's right and Martha chose what's wrong and and so we've got to learn to be Mary. But you know when I look at that text I, I really don't see it that way. I see something really different because I don't see Martha doing a whole lot wrong. I actually see Martha doing a lot right. In fact if we're really honest I think Martha's a much better person than I am. Because you see, when Jesus traveled, he traveled with a lot of people. Not just the 12 disciples that we know and can name, but he traveled with crowds of people, and people showed up. And when he came to a certain town, there was a lady named Martha, who we know was a friend of Jesus from other encounters with Scripture. She opened up her home to Jesus and the disciples, and most likely all the people that were traveling with him. And Martha takes a moment, and not only does she open up her home, but she prepares and makes dinner for him. Basically, she's being hospitable. Jesus shows up, and she says, come stay at my house. 
Let me take care of dinner for all of you and your friends. And so here's Martha taking care of dinner for Jesus and Jesus' disciples and whoever else was hanging around with them. And I look at Martha and I say, you know, there's not really a whole lot that Martha is actually doing wrong. I mean, if we're really honest, she's probably responding better than I am. And maybe she had some of these things going through her head. But if I'm really, really being transparent, I can tell you exactly what I'd have thought. See, Jesus didn't just announce his plans. It's not like he called and said, I'm coming ahead of time or whatever. I mean, he showed up in a town with no place to go with 12 friends. You ever had somebody do that in your life? Where they called and they said, hey, we're in Oklahoma City. We're coming by. Who's we? Me and the nine children and the dog, the wiener dog. We're here. What is that? Immediately your anxiety goes up a little bit, right? You're thinking, well, you could have at least called. I mean, call from Tulsa or wherever. Tell me you're coming. I mean, I don't really have anything here. I don't have enough space for everybody. I mean, my initial reaction would be, I mean, come on. Is it going to kill you to send somebody running ahead to tell me you're coming? You know, but Jesus traveled heavy. And when he traveled with the guys that they ate, I mean, these were guys that spent their time walking around the countryside. It's not like they wanted a small salad. So she's got to make dinner for all these guys walking with Jesus. And you know what, you probably, I'm probably thinking in the back of my head, well, I've got to clean the house, or we've got to clean the house because we want people to think we live in a perfect, clean home, and so I can't have a dirty home when people come over. And most of the time we clean our house, not so they'll be, see a clean house, but so the, they'll actually think this is how we live, right? I mean, that's how, why you clean your house. You don't clean it so when I come over I don't get my feet dirty. You clean it so when I come over, I think, man, these people have really got it together. Well, that's what I'd be thinking. Who's got time to clean the house? Jesus, I just heard he's in town. Now I've got to clean the house. And then in my head, you know what I'd also be thinking? I'd be thinking, 12 people plus Jesus plus others. Who's going to pay for this? I've got to go to the store. And we're on a tight budget as it is. I mean, we have a certain set money set aside for groceries every month. And that kind of exceeds my budget. Now, I know all those things are wrong. I get it. I know that. But that's what would have gone through my head. And I promise you, I probably would end up where Martha ended up. I would have ended up serving dinner and having everybody in the house. But that, those first moments, that's exactly what I would have thought. I would have thought, seriously, the one night we didn't have anything, the one day we had a total break and Jesus shows up with his friends? And I've got to cook dinner and pay for it and figure all these things out? I mean, my anxiety level would have gone through the roof. Now, some of you aren't that way, but some of you are. But when I look at Martha's life, maybe she thought those things, maybe she didn't. We don't have any way of knowing. But I, I look at her and I say, you know what? She didn't exactly do anything wrong. You see, Martha opened her home to Jesus. She fed all of his friends. So what really goes wrong? I mean, what's wrong with this circumstance and this situation? Because I don't see Martha as the example of what not to do. I don't want to sit here and preach a sermon and tell you, hey, listen, whatever you do, don't be like Martha. If Jesus comes, tell him to go away. I mean, that, I don't think the idea is don't be like her. But somewhere along the way, something went wrong. And the picture's a really interesting one because here's Jesus and he's at her home. And Martha, it says, is running around and she is distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. You know, there's two, two things that I think kind of go wrong in this scenario. Because Martha, she's doing a lot of things right. But, but two things go wrong. The first thing that goes wrong is that Martha does get distracted by life. So it says that Martha got distracted by all the preparations that need to be made. Which means Martha got distracted by all the good things she was doing. Now most of us didn't even know that was possible. You didn't know it was possible to get distracted by the good things you're doing. 
right? I mean, most of us know that distractions come when, when I kind of give my life over to those bad things or I worry about this or I can get distracted by what's not important. But Martha got distracted by cooking dinner for Jesus, cleaning the house, getting everything ready. She got distracted by preparing for Christ. Now, most of us don't even realize that we can live in these categories. We don't realize that showing up at church and doing things for people and loving people and caring for their needs can become really quick distractions in our life. They have a way of creeping in and distracting us. The one thing, we look around and we're caught up in everybody else's life. We're doing things to help so-and-so and we're doing something to do this and we're showing up at church and we're sitting here this morning wishing we weren't here. But we're here because we should be. And being in church isn't wrong, but it can become a distraction even amongst itself. And Martha gets distracted by the preparations. And I find that fascinating because Martha's not an awful person. She's not selling drugs out of her house or abusing children. She's just cooking dinner and preparing for Jesus. Yet she gets distracted. And her distraction turns to bitterness. So she's cooking and she's working and she's doing all these things and she looks over and her sister Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now we don't think Martha's married. Nowhere else in scripture does it tell us that she has a family or anything like that. We know she has a brother. We know she has a sister named Mary. Lazarus is her brother. We know that. But we don't see that she has a family and so we just think maybe it's just her in her little house and here's her sister. The one person that should be helping her out take care of all these preparations is sitting at Jesus' feet. And Martha becomes bitter. And look at what she says to Jesus. She goes over to Jesus and she says this. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. See, Martha allows the distractions of her life, even the good things, to turn to bitterness. And she looks at Jesus and she walks over to him while he's sitting there and teaching or hanging out or doing whatever. And she says, don't you care? I mean, you can hear the bitterness in her voice. Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all this? Now, is that a familiar question? It should be, because every week it comes up. You remember the disciples as they were sailing on that boat? We talked about it last week and the week before. They were sailing on the boat, and the storm comes up on them, and the boat begins to be swamped with water, and they turn around, and Jesus is sleeping on a cushion. He's sound asleep in the back of the boat. And the disciples run to him and they wake him up and they say, Jesus, don't you care that we're about to drown? See, the picture is really similar. It's in a totally different category, but it's the same thing. Martha goes to Jesus and she says, don't you care? I mean, I'm working my tail off for you to do things for you. And she allowed that distraction to turn to bitterness. Now, I know you would never admit this, and I wouldn't either, but this is really where a lot of us live. I mean, we run around doing things for people all the time. I mean, would it kill them to say thank you? I mean, really? I mean, that one friend calls out of the middle of nowhere, and we drop everything that we have to make sure that we listen to her or him. We hear their full story, their full thing, or we take care of that same person over and over again. Or maybe it's an, it's an aging mother-in-law, or maybe it's an ungrateful child, but we take care of every single one of their needs. And every week it's something else. And they come and they say, listen, I really need this. or I'm really struggling with this. And, and we listen or we give and we give and we give. And we look at them and we say, at one point in time, our heart just wants to say, can't you just say thank you? I mean, seriously? 
I am busting my tail in my life to help you and, and nothing. Now, none of us would really say that out loud, but man, I promise you, we live there at times. We allow the things in our life to become distractions, and those distractions turn to bitterness. We look around us, and one day we realize that everybody else that seems to be doing nothing that's really good, and their lives are being blessed like crazy. How come, God, I've given you every part of my life, and I continue to struggle? How come, God, I've said yes to you, and financially we are struggling and struggling? Or how come, you know, this happens to them, and, and they don't even know you, and they just tend to trip into blessing? Maybe you've been there. Maybe you have that brother, that sister that has never really walked the Lord, but man, they seem to just fall into blessing. And here you are doing everything you can to make ends meet, working two jobs, doing whatever it is that you've got to do, or you're, you're doing all these things, yet the people around you that don't even seem to be walking with Christ are, are living this, this life where they just seem to be overflowing with blessing, and you've allowed your heart to become bitter. And bitterness is really funny because it's not something that happens like this. Bitterness is like a slow-moving cancer. It starts off by just going, becoming a little bit ungrateful. It starts off by just being a little bit frustrated. It starts off by doing church out of habit. It starts off by doing good things because we know we should. Or it starts off by just doing this thing. And we allow that bitterness to creep into our life. And then like a slow-moving cancer, it just begins to eat away at us until we come to a place where we say, Lord, don't you care? Seriously, I mean, don't you care? And Martha has found herself here bitter and distracted. See, this isn't really about dinner. It's not about making a meal or cleaning the house. There's actually something bigger because I love Jesus' response to Martha. Look at what he says to her. Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about so many things. You see, I think Jesus saw right through her. This isn't really about dinner. It's not really about the fact that Mary's sitting on her tail doing nothing. Jesus sees right through her and he looks at her and he says, you know what? You're distracted by life and you're worried. You've allowed all these things and their worries to intersect your life and distract you and it's turned to bitterness. See, because I can promise you this, whatever it is that you're a little bit frustrated with today, it's probably not really about that. I mean, it never is. You know, when you get in a fight with your wife or your spouse or your kids or whatever, it's never really about whatever that is. It's always about something else, isn't it? It's never really about the fact that the coat hanger's on the floor. It always is about the fact that something else or there's a coat hanger on the floor for 50 days in a row or that you leave your underwear on the kitchen table or whatever. It's always about something bigger. It's always about something more. It's not just that thing. And for Martha, it really isn't just about that. It's about something much bigger. And Jesus sees right through and he says, listen, you are distracted and worried about so many things. So he didn't look at her and say, look, you're distracted and worried about dinner. Or making preparations. He says, look, you've distracted and worried about life. See, this is where I realized Meredith and I were. When, when I first had this sort of dawning on me about this series and really teaching through it, as I realized that it wasn't about the situation that night, what we're struggling with. It was about that we become distracted and worried about life. We'd allowed those things to distract us, even the great things that we do with church. I mean, we've got a lot of things that are unfolding as this church kind of moves in the next phase of its life, and we become distracted and wrapped up in those things. And they're not bad things. 
but they're just distractions. And slowly over time, distractions turn to bitterness. And bitterness will destroy your life. So then Jesus looks at her and he says this. You're so worried about many things, but only one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen what is right, or what is better, actually, and it will not be taken away from her. Which really begs two questions. What did Mary choose, and why is it better? Well, the short answer and the simple answer is Mary chose Jesus. She had Jesus in her home, and she chose to sit at his feet. She chose to be in the presence of Christ. She chose what was better. And not better than cooking dinner for Jesus. Okay, don't get, that, don't get this little misconstrued. What Jesus is not saying is that Mary chose what's better to sit at my feet than better than cooking dinner. What he says is, is that she chose what's better, better than being distracted and worried about life. See, the miscommunication you hear in this story from people and preachers all the time is that what Mary chose what was better than what Martha chose. Martha chose to cook dinner and prepare, and Mary chose to sit at the feet of Jesus. That's not really what Jesus is comparing. He's actually saying, Mary chose what's better, which is to sit in my presence, and that's better than being distracted and worried about life. I'm not going to take it away from her. I'm not going to take that away and put her in the middle of your bitterness. So Mary chose Jesus. And why is it better? Well, it's better because it's Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus talking to his disciples, and he says, Listen, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What this means is that Jesus is no ordinary man. He's not a person. He's not some great Bible superhero. He is the actual Son of God, and the only way to eternal life is through him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. It means no amount of doing good things will ever ever get you into heaven or find rest and peace for your life. You can go out here tomorrow and feed every homeless person in our city and never find peace for your soul. You can go out here tomorrow and love a bunch of kids that are unlovable and you will never find rest for your soul. Why? Because the only place that you will find true rest is in the presence of Christ. All this has to do with priorities. Now I know what you're thinking. I'm going to sit here and tell you to choose what's right. I mentioned that earlier. Treb, listen, here's what what I'm going to tell you. Treb's going to say this. Priorities. Reset your life on what really matters. Look at your wife. Look at your husband, look at your family, and choose them because they're what matters in life. Don't spend all your time doing all these frivolous things, you know, like working really hard because then when you get in your deathbed, nobody ever chooses to work more over family. That's not what I'm saying at all. You know those things. What I'm saying this morning is that your priority in your life needs to be reset on the person of Jesus Christ. So here's a series of questions. How is your quiet time? How is your prayer life? Are you sitting at the feet of Jesus asking him to heal your soul, to mend your broken heart? Or is your spiritual life an activity that takes place for 55 to an hour a time on Sunday morning? See, resetting your priorities from a biblical standpoint is not about choosing relationships over stuff. It's not about choosing what really matters. It's about saying, Jesus, you're all that matters. See, when Meredith and I had this conversation a few weeks ago, after we really started talking through this series, what we began to realize was that our priorities were out of whack because they weren't on Christ. That somehow along the way, we'd allowed our own priorities as a married couple to not be on Jesus. That we'd gotten away from spending time with Him, that we'd gotten away from our prayer life, that we'd gotten away from our time in the Word, and distraction had creeped in and it had turned to bitterness. 
See, it wasn't a matter of me saying, Trev, I'm not going to work as hard. I'm going to spend more time with my family. That really wasn't the answer. The answer was saying, Jesus, somewhere where along life, I've lost touch with who you are. I mean, it's been a long time since I've sat at your feet. That's where we begin today. That's where this series begins and ends. It begins and ends with Jesus. Do you remember that first section out of Matthew 11 we talked about four weeks ago when Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Where do we go to find rest? To the feet of Jesus. It begins and ends in the same place. If it has been years or months or weeks since you have spent any time with the Lord, I will promise you that your priorities are all out of alignment. And it is no wonder that you are living in worry and at moments of anxiety and fear because your priorities are all messed up. What matters is Jesus. And if you have not had a prayer time or a quiet time life or a time relationship with the Lord, then your priorities are all out of balance and you will never find peace for your soul until you decide, Jesus, everything starts by me spending time with you. See, it's not about saying, God, I want to change my financial outlook. It's about saying, Jesus, I want to know you. And the more we know Jesus, the more he changes the heartbeat of our life. You know, this table this morning is really a picture of that. Every time we do this, I actually use that verse out of Matthew chapter 11, 28, where Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Because this is the picture of where we find rest. Not at this metaphorical table, but at the person of Jesus Christ, the actual body and blood of Jesus, that he loved us and he gave his life for us. That when we share in this table, in this meal, what we're saying is, Jesus, I take your life. Literally, I take your life as what's important to me. That nothing else matters except you first and foremost. And maybe this morning as we partake in this meal together, we begin the process of saying, true rest comes from sitting at the feet of Christ. That if you are restless and wandering, then maybe it's simply become your priorities have got all out of alignment. And the true priority is sitting at the feet of Jesus. If you've got bitterness, if you've got distraction that you have to deal with today, my challenge is this. Before you come down and share in this meal, deal with it. Spend time with the Lord. Confess it. Ask God to heal your heart. And then as we share in this together, come at a place where you're willing to say, Jesus, I want to find rest for my soul. Take a moment as we prepare to do this together and just ask God to cleanse your heart. Let's pray together. God, we are a broken people. We've got all kinds of issues and things in our life that we both admit and, and don't admit. Whether we want to admit the distraction and bitterness, it creeps in, God. God, we ask that you would move in us and change us, that you, God, would do something powerful in our lives. I want you to take just a moment as you sit here and you prepare to share in this meal with this family and just ask God to bring the things to your heart that you need to let go of. What are the struggles? What are the concerns? What are the worries? Ask God to bring those things to your heart so that you can deal with them this morning so that you might find rest for your soul.
See, this meal, God, is a picture of your grace and your love for us. It's a picture of the fact that you gave your life so that we might know you. God, it's a picture that you have laid down your life and demonstrated what sacrificial love looks like. Prepare our hearts to meet with you.